long last, Andy Condillo, Jared Webb, Astro Chat is back, and we are happy to have you during this off-season special as the Astros, well, well, I was about to say a long way away from spring training, but really not that far as February is right around the corner. The Astros have made a ton of moves, and we'll get into all of those moves uh, that we haven't talked about quite yet, including the Carlos Beltran edition. Uh, right now, though, we have something more important to talk about. We're talking about the mascot Orbit and Jared, I'm bringing you in now. You have a theory about what's going to happen in 2017 as we turn the new year when it comes to orbit and running people over. Right. So obviously, when the Astros unveiled orbit the second time, we were pretty excited. And we seem to, I think we have a top five mascot. Um, but I think Orbit knows he's a top five mascot. I think he knows he kind of flirts with that Philly fanatic uh, level of mascot godhood. So he's got his own ESPN commercials. He's doing a lot of stuff. So um, I'm kind of I've been wondering about what really happened with that incident where Orbit was driving his I think it was four wheeler or they drove a mule and he ended up running over one of the shooting stars. So I've got a theory as to what happened. And this is kind of a grassy knoll uh, second shooter theory. But what if that girl that he ran over, like, she placed second in the Who's Gonna Be Orbit contest, and Orbit now realizes that he's got this great, you know, he's got this great treasure being Orbit that he needs to hold on to, but in order to do that, he needs to take out all the rivals that he remembers who are still, like, a possible challenge, because her role in the for the Astros is she's actually there as a backup just in case something happens, so he tried to run her over, so he could make sure to secure his position. I was thinking, my theory actually, is that maybe they staged this whole thing as a social media experiment to see how many people would like and share it. That Orbit's just becoming an attention whore now. Like, yeah, now he'll, he'll do anything for a like and a share. Like, he's like, hey, let's run over Janet. Nobody likes Janet. Let's get her. But, you know, you know speaking about Orbit here... Uh, we talk about how far the Astros have come. I mean, I've been doing a v- different version of this podcast since 2013, and there were some points where I didn't know what the heck I was talking about anymore because it was just more losses uh, to now. And we think about how far things have come. Uh, think how far they've come in mascots. I mean, Junction Jack, you oh, could God. arguably say was the worst mascot that in was history horrible. Of sports. It was it was a weird like identity crisis for the Astros at the time because obviously you know the junction like the trains and everything yeah they make sense in the location of Houston but like you kind of forgot like wait we're the Houston Astros and space. Orbit was good back in the day yeah space NASA Houston get it Houston we have a problem oh everybody's gonna love that one yeah but uh, so they bring out the rabbit he throws basically just. What are whatever those are those uh, plastic balls at people, and that's basically his stunt. Um, so you know, I was thinking, you know, Jared, we're probably just a few more years out now before they have a throwback game where they wear the pinstripe uniforms again. Ugh, <laughs> I don't. But, Ew. but it, it's got to happen Ew. eventually. And when this does happen, I feel like they should bring Junction Jack back out on the field, and out of nowhere, Orbit comes and runs him over. Oh, that, now see, I, that's something I would absolutely be on board for because I feel like Junction, Junction Jack is the 2013 Astros version of mascots. He's just that uh, 
you, you, he goes out there and you know you have to sit through it, but you feel bad for him being out there. Well, I definitely felt bad having to watch that thing. So mascots improved, teams improved. We got some theories on the board here about Orbit rising the rankings in terms of mascots and you know running poor innocent girls over. But talking baseball now, uh, we're talking about the Astros and their 2017 season now that the calendar has flipped. Uh, the big acquisition for us to talk about, Jared, and what it really means for the Astros going forward would be our old friend Carlos Beltran. Now, I know obviously you and I uh, are probably going to agree on this move. I think it's something that we've wanted, and veteran leadership is something that I've cried about uh, pretty much on loop for the last few years. Uh, they definitely got that between the three acquisitions this offseason. But you bring Beltran in here now, a guy who is turning 40, a guy who doesn't have uh, the, the, I guess, the tools that he used to, but he still is able to get on base. He's still able to hit for quite a bit of power. And coming off a pretty solid season last year in which he hit 29 home runs and drove in 93, uh, my opinion, Jared, is what he gives us on the field is going to be good, I hope. But what he gives this team inside of the clubhouse is what I really think the $16 million goes to, a team that really needs a veteran leader in Carlos Beltran and a, a Latin leader, a guy who can really uh, help teach Altuve and Correa a few things as they get deep into the season. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited what he brings to left field. Uh, he opens up a possibility, since he will split some time there in DH, uh, he gives you a break from the Norieoki jake Marisnik combo we're going to see, uh, which actually makes that combo a little bit more appealing because you look at you know Dallas Keuchel, you look at Colin McHugh, we've got some guys who do play ground ball baseball. So being able to have Jake Marisnik out there and it not being a huge offensive liability, that's really intriguing. So you can cover up like, hey, once a week or twice a week or whatever, Jake Marisnik gets six innings, uh, you know, defense in. And then you got Beltron out there for the rest and Aoki out there for the rest. And, you know, that just really it, it makes this lineup a completely different monster. So is that your lineup right now? Because I know that's the one of the biggest things since they got Beltron was kind of a debate as to who's in, who's out. Is this lineup a rotating DH and what really is it? You know, especially with the catcher situation now with Gaddis, McCann, and Beltron, all, you know, three guys you think that would get a lot of ABs at DH. So is it a lineup right now, if you're the manager, where you're envisioning McCann, Gaddis, and Beltron all on the field at the same time? I think there are going to be games where, where all three are on the field. Um, in some form or fashion, obviously, Gaddis would be DHing in that situation, but I think you can do it. Um, you know, that's one thing about McCann. McCann's only 32 years old and he's not really a guy who's slowing down. Um, but he needs he, he needs a platoon situation, so him and Gaddis, that'll kind of work naturally. Um, I think you give, you're going to give Beltran most of those at-bats, but obviously with him almost being 40 years old, he's, he's going to need to set a spell. So I think it can work, um, but that really relies on uh, Uleski Goriel learning first base and being able to stick there um so you're not having to you know dh him all that much you need you need him to really take to that position so he doesn't have to go to left field or anything weirder well i'm kind of scared putting him at first base because there's like something in the dirt over there you know since berkman was traded uh, i feel like every single person that hits that position no matter uh what 
you really think they're going to be, what they're supposed to be, how they were drafted, whatever it is. It's just some sort of curse that goes over there. And really, uh, Yui was not really um, immune to that last year. It seemed like his hitting dropped off quite a bit at the end of the year when he was getting more reps at first base. I don't know what it is. Well, Yuli's going to – look, pitchers are going to figure him out. Uh, we talk about this with young guys. You always watch for that sophomore slump because pitchers now have a little bit more of a scouting report. But I don't know. I think as long as he hits 260, gets on base at like a 310-ish clip, you know, 10 to 15 home runs, I think you can live with that at first base. And he uh, could be batting eighth in this lineup. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's a big deal. Like – it doesn't really matter where you're getting production from. I know you want big production from first base, but as long as you're getting production in general, I think you can be pretty happy with the team. I mean, really, the fact of the matter is first base isn't going to be their strong uh, offensive position no, the way you look at this team right now. But they need someone, once again, it's the first time we're going to say this in 2017, you need someone to do baseball at first base. And, and nobody's done baseball at first base in quite a while. Yeah, no, just do baseball. Um, just really, just you don't have to do a ton. We're not expecting a ton from you, uh, from Yuli, but just just do baseball. You know, well, be back, serviceable. Back to Carlos Beltran, though. He comes back. We know the story. Um, in high school, I was certainly butthurt when he went to the Mets. As I grew older, I was like, well, he seems like a pretty decent guy. I probably shouldn't hate him as much as I do. And then you get to the point now where. Um, I feel like around the league, you know, the Astros fans, there's there's some ignorant people that will probably still boo him for whatever reason. But I feel like around the league, when you talk Carlos Beltran, I don't know if there's a more respected name uh, when it comes to veteran players out there. You just really don't see uh, any team, any rival team, any types of players that really take issue with the way he plays the game. And, you know, I think it fits the clubhouse perfectly. Oh, yeah. No, it's a great move. Um, I actually had a string of tweets a while back because I was really bored. I had a string of tweets. Basically, it was a conversation between Jeff Luno and Carlos Beltran. And part of um, Carlos Beltran's contract was everyone who booed him uh, has to apologize on social media um, because of the booing. And, like, can you imagine? Because the, I really think – I don't know that the Astros were really that – that interested in in, in and I felt like Beltran was always kind of the guy. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like they had to really bend over, and like that's one of his requests. He's like, like sixteen million. He's like, and I got one thing that it has to be in there. Everyone who booed has to say they're sorry. Well, I bet you th- there'll still be some butt hurt people. Don't get me wrong, but I bet oh, you yeah. on opening Guaranteed. day. It's Houston. Houston's more of a forgiving city, I feel like, than than some markets out there. It's not Philadelphia. I bet you he gets a standing O on his first at bat. Oh, look, as long as as long as they're winning, uh, obviously the city of Houston's getting this weird spree of winning, and the Astros most are thinking are the best of those three teams. Uh, granted, now the Rockets could probably be in contention for that, but yeah, I think as long as he does well. No one's really going to care what he does. Um, he's obviously going to be a good influence for uh, Correa and Altuve. I think they've already had multiple dinners and stuff. So, And it's, it's good for it, in, in my opinion, that not only just Beltram, but just adding depth to this lineup. I know one thing that 
we all talked about quite a bit online and you know really probably cost Altuve the MVP award is he just really got out of his game during the last month of the year I think the pressure got to him he's trying to do too much at once and that's not to say his season wasn't spectacular just means down the stretch I think the injuries piled up I mean this team was basically um it, it was some a big makeshift team a makeshift lineup a makeshift rotation team was just falling apart down the stretch now Tuve tried to put everything on his back it's where you need a veteran guy like Beltron a guy like McCann you know we're not expecting these guys to light it up and be the number one player on the team uh, but adding this depth to the lineup Bregman starts to hopefully mature and not have the sophomore slump Correa I think is prone for a big year uh, the the depth in this lineup and how you configure it you feel like this should uh, give the Astros one the uh, top three American League lineups if everything pans out. Outside of the Red Sox and, you know, maybe the Indians, I think that these are the three lineups that you really think about. Yeah, definitely. I think the big thing uh, you talk about, Altuve was trying to kind of carry things on his back. I, that, that lineup just wasn't all that deep just because there were, yeah, the injuries kept piling up. The and, Bregman injury was a killer. Towards oh, yeah. That, well, that was like the death blow. That was essentially the stake through the heart. But you look at it now, and now we have so much depth. I mean, now Norioki's off the bench. We got two catchers who, if Gaddis comes back and hits this year and Brian McCann has a Brian McCann year, that's almost every position where you're looking at projections and going, okay, yeah, I like that. Yeah, and you start to really start, you know, you put that lineup together. Uh, there's a lot of different ways you can dice it up, but no matter which way you do dice it up, you got, you got guys like Guriel, Reddick batting at the bottom of the order, and that's always a great thing. You mentioned it earlier, really hitting the nail on the head, Mariznick, uh, a bat that made me want to punch a hole through a wall at times last year, but if that's the only bad bat in your entire lineup then you can suck up having one of those guys out there rather than having two or three guys who do just nothing at the plate so uh i think everything looks good uh offensively right now only for you is your boy marwin is probably going to receive far less at bats this year um you can shut your mouth because marwin will get as many at bats as he pleases because that is marwin gonzalez that is marwin gonna steal your girl (laughs) Gonzalez. If, that is the he, hope, the heart, the pride of Houston. If he ends up taking more than 300 at bats at first base, you will enjoy this, every one of them. I won't enjoy it at all. You know, hey, his 15 solo home runs, you will you will love every one of them. Dude, why do you like Marwin? That's that's a dude right there. He's a dude. He's he your just, guy. He, he's my guy. What if J- Josh Reddick is going to be, I feel like, my other guy because he's a big old big old piece of goofy awesome. Yeah, well, he fits right in. But, you know, the one guy who doesn't fit in when it comes to goofy is, is McCann. Uh, I just want to see at what point does he give one of our players a dirty look for um, having some odd celebration or somebody throws water on him after hitting a big home run. I mean, I, I feel like it's just destiny to happen, and I'm going to laugh hard when it does. I don't know. It's that's and that's why I like um, that's why I like trading before the season rather than during uh, because now Brian McCann has a chance to come in it, from the start of the season. Culture, yeah, get used to the culture. Like he can, he's probably already met with Hinch and talked to him, which I kind of I imagine that's going to be his go-to guy um, for that kind of stuff. So I, I like bringing him in 
early, let him get acclimated, let him kind of understand the culture that that's this is a younger culture. I think as long as uh, this team is motivated and, and focused on winning, I think we'll be okay. I don't think he's going to try to fight us. I yeah, think he'll try pro- to fight other people. Probably just Carlos Gomez when they play the Rangers. Oh, Carlos Gomez. Yeah, now and when we play the Rangers at uh, the new Enron field that they're designing. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, what's your take on that, real quick? I mean, oh my god, that like it—they basically are making the Crawford boxes. <laughs> yeah, I saw That's that. That's so ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's you only want to scrap that and, and try it again. Um, yeah. But if, if oh, that's if that's geez. what they go with. Even even then, I mean, I know that's, you can't. That's judge... so much. That's so much penis envy. I mean, I know you can't judge everything from an artist's rendering, but the stadium looked freaking ugly. I mean, besides the the left field. Uh, looking exactly like Enron, you said. Like it just looked bare to me. It's like, what's special about this stadium? Yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought that was a really weird thing to do. And their taxpayers are paying for that massive upgrade. Well, well at least they won't have to sweat all year anymore. So I guess yeah. that's something for them. That's um, true. Speaking Worth of it, sweating. I I know you're sweating right now because as much offense as has come to the Astros, it makes me happy. Uh, you've been on We Need a Pitcher desperately for a while, Train, and the Astros haven't been able to land that move. Uh, the dealings for Jose Quintana continues to be rumored, and nothing has quite gotten done since that Chris Sale trade when it comes to the White Sox rotation. Jared, what are you giving up right now for Jose Quintana, and is there a limit to what you're going to say no to? Um, I mean, I really think at this point the White Sox are in control. Uh, from everything I've heard, they really want to they really want to get some uh, major league ready hitting. I think for the Astros that would mean uh, Kyle Tucker, and I, my guess is there's no deal unless it has Martes and Tucker in it. And uh, I don't know. The Astros have already said that uh, they consider Tucker to be untouchable. Uh, and he, he did kind of burn through the minors, you know, at what, 18 or 19 years old, getting all the way up to high. So, I mean, I would do the deal. I would do it because Quintana's 200 innings of frontline starter baseball. And he's a ground ball pitcher. He does everything that the Astros like. He wa- doesn't walk people, doesn't give up a lot of home runs. So, I don't know. Yeah, two, that's a, I would 200 do it. innings for four straight years. That's hard to find. That's why his value is so high because there's probably been some people to look at his numbers and they're saying, well, they're good, but they're not that good. Other oh, Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, I you're mean, paying for consistency. That's like that's like non uh, Cy Young caliber Dallas Keuchel. That's um, we hope Keuchel could be next year. That's like 2014 Keuchel kind of you know 200 innings. Uh, he has a better K rate, but I mean like that high ground ball better in some places where Quintana is better in others you know getting a second Keigel that's how you should look at it this is another left-handed starter who fits the Astros mold and to go with Keigel and really look at the rotation right now let's just say you know the Astros get nobody they're in the market for a starter once the regular season begins that's Jeff Luno's goal the whole time let's just say that uh, right now you got Keigel uh, McHugh Fires McCullers and then number five starter, we don't Charlie know. Morton. Well, Charlie Morton, uh, maybe. Uh, 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 that, that's what I think of that. Um, but let's just look at the rotation right now. Um, we know what Keiko can do. We don't know what he will do. He's uh, allegedly throwing pain-free right now. McCullers, 
I think we know what he can be, but is he a durable guy? We don't know that yet. And Colin McHugh, again, we saw at the end of the year last year, we saw what he could be. We saw it last season, 2014. Uh, We saw a lot of production, but a lot of question marks were raised last year on guys that I think that we didn't have as many question marks for going into the season. Yeah, I think with uh, Keuchel, with it being the only reason I'm worried is because the word shoulder was in the injury report. So uh, I, I imagine they're going to really monitor him closely early on. Uh, McHugh is really as long as McHugh uh, gets hit a little less this season, which kind of seemed to be his big problem. He's just they people just hit him a lot more. Um, his Babbitt was really not great. If, but if it evens out to normal, he's a good number three. Charlie Morton. I think they're hoping for kind of another Doug Fister thing where you get like 130 good innings and then the last 40 are, you know, they're kind of more of a limp, but whatever, you got 130 innings at the beginning of the season where you kind of wanted them. So now those young arms come in. Yes, Um, I still really wanted to try Davinsky in that position. I'm not ready to just put Davinsky in as a reliever from what we saw last year. Well, I think they want to keep uh, Davinsky as their reserve guy. I, I mean, they said, though, that Davinsky's going to get a shot at the rotation. I just think that at this point, Charlie Morton's kind of considered the favorite. But I think Davinsky could potentially beat out, like, what do we think? Maybe Fires? Uh, could beat out Fires or well, Morton? If, if Fires has to earn his position still, I guess that would be the thing. Uh, he, I think he he's... In. He's probably penciled in at number four, but I don't know. Like it could, it could be erased. Um, but I think at this point he is. A, Charlie Morton's kind of the guy on the bubble there. Uh, I'm like you. I would like to see Davinsky, but because uh, I'm not really. I, if Charlie Morton, you know, there's a lot of positive signs that he could be the next Rich Hill kind of guy. But staying healthy's never really been his uh, his his strong suit. Yeah, he's never done that real well. The best comparison I would have right now, though, Free Jared is is. We're in football season. Everyone's all excited about the Texans. Oh, and they beat they beat a quarterback who didn't matter with a with a quarterback of their own who doesn't matter. Woo! Well, th- this is what I'm essentially getting at right here. Let's say last year the Astros were to make the playoffs. They win 86 games. They get they barely get in the division series. They would have been in a situation with where their pitching was last year. They would have all been for for not. And it almost feels it's same thing with the Texans. You you it's fun. You hang the flag saying you went to the playoffs, you sell some tickets, you people buy jerseys. But at the end of the day, if they don't have a horse at the top of the rotation to go into the playoffs next year, it's going to be all for naught. And they have to find at least one of these guys. One of these guys has to be the horse. It could be Keiko, it could be McCullers, it could be uh, Player X that we haven't seen come to the roster. Um, but like the Texans, uh, to me, it was actually impressive. The Astros won 84 games last year with the, the starting pitching they had because you look at that stuff on paper and it just wasn't good across the board. Yeah, it, it, yeah, they would have limped into the playoffs. Um, it would have been kind of one of those miracle things where we were all very excited just to make the playoffs. I think for the Astros, um, I think it would have meant a little more than currently what the Texans are doing uh, because most people will feel it's a pretty big guarantee that they're going to get beat against the Patriots. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the Astros would have limped in, uh, but considering how bad, how historically bad they had been in previous years, you know, prior years, not not counting the playoff run the year before. 
it like, still means a little more. Yeah, two two mean yeah, two con- consistent years of playoff, you feel like, yeah, okay, yeah, we're definitely we're close. But you still feel looking at this lineup now, you still feel the same, like, yeah, we're close. Like this is this is really close. But that shows you how good this team could be if things came together. Just look at the pitching last year. Really was never up to snuff. Uh, look at the offense last year. Uh, pretty yeah. much, you know, felt like half the year Altuve was having to do everything. Springer, Correa, these guys were great. But uh, after that, there was really nothing. And there was, there were so many um, spots on this team where you're just blowing, you're, you're ready to blow something up. Ken Giles wasn't what many people thought they were trading for. You know, the closer position was never really solidified. Yet they won 84 games. You figure if they fix, you know, 75% of these items uh, for 2017, this should be a 90-win team. And should, you know, is a strong word because a lot of different things can happen, obviously. Uh, But for them to do as well as they did with how many things went wrong, uh, in a way, when I look back at 2016, I think I was burnt out by the end of the year. But when I was able to step back and just look at the year as a whole... I'm kind of like, you know, it really wasn't that bad, all things considered. I think more that it was frustrating because this team was supposed to be, you know, there were the predictions, again, that 2016 might be the year as opposed to 2017. Um, but it was another one of those, like, we you knew there were holes. You knew there was a chance Carlos Gomez was going to struggle. You knew that there was a chance the rotation. I mean, we you can go to old podcasts for Astro Chat and listen to us talk about how the rotation felt like it was not all that secure. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know. Like this year, though, I feel like we're going in with a team that really on paper, like, yeah, we could use another starting pitcher, but on paper we still have a pretty good rotation. So like I could see them going in and just really monitoring the rotation early and keeping trade talks open and really most importantly uh for the astros you know they have to beat the rangers we obviously know that but their offense has certainly been weakened uh from last year still probably going to come in as you know the astros and rangers as the two favorites for the division but you have to like where they stand a little better going up against that team uh 17 18 times a year with their new additions yeah, and the Rangers, and the good thing about this is when you look at both teams, the Rangers are only going to get older while the Astros continue to stay relatively young. Um, so I like us going forward a lot better than them. But, yeah, that's still, on paper, that's still a really good team. But I think now we match up just a bit better. Um, again, I, I would like the starter. I would like especially a ground ball starter um, who can – Cover 200 innings, that would really... Jeff, do I need to write you a little kid note that no, you can just, barely read the handwriting? Just be like all the fanboys and send them an angry tweet. That's oh, dude, I... Do no, he definitely reads my tweets. He definitely sees them and thinks, you know, this Jared guy, he's got some ideas about the baseball. And, and I like we'll him. both get hired to be on his front staff. That's how it works, Andy. I give him, I give him the sweet... Yeah, and then he listens to the show, and he's like, man, that guy's got the sweet goodness, and I'm the next Kevin Goldstein wearing sweet fedoras in the Astros management suite. Yep. That's well, that's how my life's going to go. And then he gets let go because he makes one more bad trade, and you're let go in a matter of two months. I will say, going into this season, I don't feel like, uh, you know, I feel like last year there were some, like, 
there was some bad blood thrown at AJ Hinch, but I, I don't know that we're even close to having a fire Luno or firing uh, AJ Hinch after last year. I think that was the only, the only person that can get in Luno's way is Luno. And that's by making yeah. more bad trades because if he keeps doing that, then I think he might pull the, they might pull the trigger on him, but otherwise everything he does is spectacular. It's just the trades that, that you know, it, whether it's his fault or not, you can only have so many of those on your resume. Well, and it's funny because now uh, all a lot of fans, and especially Astros Twitter, really likes to talk about how, you know, has has Leno maybe gotten a little gun shy after that Gomez trade because it wasn't it wasn't a good one, and it definitely it's he seemed to kind of like pump the brakes, and he seems to kind of still be pumping the brakes. But I guess I kind of get it because these prices are uh, silly nanners, especially the prices for closes right now. Yeah, and we know he's a bargain shopper too. So yeah, he's but but you kind of have to be. And, uh, and you look at again. We've talked about this before on previous Astros chat. You can find them on SoundCloud or iTunes. Are we on iTunes now? Yes, that should be working. But I need to double check to make sure it's still syncing up. Right. Well, you can find us there uh, and listen to some of our older ones where uh, we've talked about. What did we talk about? Well, we talked about Jeff Luno and his brilliant trading abilities. And we talked about uh, basically the life of Jared and how he would do on the Astros in the front office, all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> but we, yeah, you look at his trade history when we've talked about it. It's, it's been a little rough. I mean, yeah, but whatever. I don't care anymore. Well, let's talk about another old guy here uh, before we close this thing out. Jeff Bagwell, hall of fame voting. It will become official on January 18th. Is he in? Is he out? It looks like he's going to be in based on early projections. The last I read, it was at 90% or so. Uh, so, Jared, I know that you're a huge Hall of Fame guy, and you really oh, look forward to this. So let's get your take on it. I'm glad he's going in, and I feel like he should be going in. I think it's kind of silly that it took this long, but whatever. The The Baseball Writers Association is who they are. Um and obviously, I think we're to the point now to where when they put Bud Selig, I know it was the the Veterans Commission that put him in or whatever, but when they put Bud Selig in, you're like, okay, you just recognize that steroid genre as a great genre. Now you have no excuse um, unless you're Murray Chass and just send in a blank ballot. Yeah, you should keep him on the Writers Association. That's really productive. But. Yeah, it's oh, it's just, but it looks like he's going to get in. I'm glad. Uh, it seems like now... People are kind of wanting to get excited about Wagner, but um, for Wagner to get in, Hoffman has to get in. Yeah. Uh, so at yeah, this point, if you're a Wagner, Wagner, if you're a Wagner for Hall of Fame guy, which I mean, I get it, I get the case for it. Um, I don't care enough, but I get it. But if you're a, a Wag Wags for Hall of Fame, because um, that'll be the next one that you know, because there's a Bags for Hall of Fame account that's been uh, basically he's been just like info bombing different baseball writers association accounts with all the bagwell numbers i'm sure his next one will be wags for hall of fame uh, he's probably already got it taken yeah, but i imagine that'll be the next case maybe derrick bell for hall of fame after that and just start going Ooh, down no, the list. De- no derrick bell like he like didn't he like beat women uh he got arrested for uh smoking crack i think it was oh jesus like that <laughs> good god derrick bell yeah so you, you're Holy. Uh, you're on a different extreme, but yeah, he got arrested. Ooh, that that seems like a really weird thing to after being a baseball guy. But uh, yeah, I think Wags for Hall of Fame will be the next one. But for him to get in, 
Hoffman has to get in first. Um, you know, but you basically... really, really the incredible thing, though, this speaking about Bagwell, is that we even sit here and debate if he was a Hall of Famer. I mean, it, it, it's hilarious to me, like, listening to people debate about who should be in and who shouldn't be in in the, the steroid era. I mean, I find most of these votes to be pretty easy, actually. Like, asking me if I think Barry Bonds is a Hall of Famer, you basically, the way the Hall of Fame va- voting has been in the past is you judge players based on the era they played in. He was the best player in the era that he played in, so yes, he's a Hall of Famer. Well, in like most major offensive categories, he's in the top 50 o- of all time. Yeah, so, so like and there's more OPS. Than 50 players in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's 21st in OPS, 26th on on-base percentage. OPS plus, he's 28th. Walks, he's 28th. War, he's 35th. 39th in home runs with 449 home runs. Those are all time. Like, that's a that's that's a Hall of Famer. It doesn't even Let's, matter what metrics you're using. Like, yeah. old school guy, a new school guy, it doesn't even matter. And, and that sometimes causes some convolution where people try to uh, find the right metrics for what they're trying to weigh a player as, but with Bagwell, there really doesn't it doesn't matter what you're using. He's going to be in it if you're being reasonable. That is, yeah, it's. I mean, he really should be. And the fact that like you know people with Biggio were like, oh, Biggio just played forever and was an accumulator. Well, Bagwell didn't. You know, Bagwell fell apart when his shoulder fell apart. Like he just he just stopped offensively. So yeah. like he wasn't an accumulator. You can't even throw that at him. You can just say just that he had big elite. he had big he had big muscly forearms and that's really all you have at this point. Yeah. Well, that's, that's it. That's you know, that's basically But he's he's probably going in. Yeah, so but he's probably going in. So, you know, whatever we win. Yep. Victory. Victory is ours uh, as we wrap up the podcast right now. Um Anything show-wise, movie-wise, I know Rogue One basically was the greatest movie of your life. It was the second coming, and you are a Nazi for not liking it? Well, I did like it. I just didn't like yeah, it as much like, as you oh, did. I, I liked it, but I didn't. it wasn't amazing. It was amazing, Andy. It was a beautiful piece of artwork, and you're, you're a garbage man. I, I don't know. It, it, it just, I'm it, really, it I, you don't know world. how... You, it, I don't. You're, you upset me so much. My eyes were dry. So afterwards. bad. Oh my, Andy, you shut your mouth. I mean, so I this is. You know what? This for me is the new Marwin Gonzalez. Gonzalez of movies. Wait. Yeah, the fact that you don't love Rogue One and don't love Marwin Gonzalez tells me you're a terrible person. Well, see, I feel like I haven't watched an epic movie in a while. So a week ago, I threw on the Dark Knight. Did you saw Rogue One? Well, that wasn't epic for me. It was just good. So I threw on the Dark Knight Rises and cried again at the end when we thought Batman was nearly dead. Oh, man. I mean, what a, it, this stuff's just, dramatic. Oh, just What a set of movies. What a set of movies. And then they came out and gave us those garbage piles. Um, have you heard, like, Martha? He's like, well, I have Martha, too. Well, that... Martha. That's another one. I watched Suicide Squad lately and wondered why I wasted my hours on that. I did that too. I did that too, and I uh, I regretted it. I mean, looking at Margaret Robbie, the whole movie was almost worth it. At Margo? Times. Or Margaret. I, I called her Margaret, huh? Yeah, Margot Robbie. Uh, looking at her was you know an, enough to uh, fancy or, or really whet my appetites, I guess you could say. Uh, but there's only so much of that you can do before the movie gets terrible. 
that it, it makes me sad that you were wetting your appetite. I was wetting to, my appetites to Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> to to her I, specifically. And if yeah, you really want to do it in, in more, go watch Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I did like the part as spoilers if you haven't seen Suicide Squad. Uh, I did like the part where the what is the name Whiplash, the rope guy. Mm-hmm. He tries to like run away, and they like boom blow up his head. That's the end of him. Yeah, it was it was so quick, and I didn't expect it because I was like, oh, this is one of the members of the team. They will not murder one of the team members. Oh, Suicide Squad. His head. And then, you know, you think of Killer Croc. Like, to me, he should be a borderline epic villain uh, from the Batman comics. You've never seen him in film. And I feel like he was just a freaking joke in that movie. Uh, on top of that, you have the Joker, who they advertise with um, pretty much on <sighs> loop, and he has, what, like, f- ten minutes in it of screen time? Well, that was a, that was supposedly a point of controversy where everybody was like, Oh, Jared Leto's Leto's mad now because he was supposed to have more uh, in movie time. I don't know, like that movie was pretty bad out, but 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 they released the super anti, uh super awesome director's cut, and supposedly it it really brings the movie to light. But these are the same people who liked Batman versus Superman, so yeah, you can all it, shut it, up. Yeah, anyone that liked that movie, I can't trust or judge. That abomination. Anything. That abomination of a movie. See, those people are worse than me. At least I liked Rogue One. Shut up, Andy. You were you were ahead, and then you you had to start saying nonsense <laughs> words. Oh my god, well, I can't believe you. On that note, we'll talk some more nonsense yeah, on that soon. Note. That's how we're going to wrap up. Thanks once again, Jared. Jared Webb, Andy Pondillo, Astro Chat. You can find us on Twitter, and we'll have more episodes coming up. Uh, once the season gets a little bit more in full swing, will the Astros figure out their pitching situation? Will I learn to like Rogue One? Uh, you will learn to love it. It's not like that's the problem. <laughs> it's the I fact that you don't love it. it. Will I yes. learn to love Rogue One? Uh, I'll teach you to love again. The, those questions are to be answered. Hit the T- music. Till next time, I'm hitting the music. Happy offseason baseball, everybody.